Good morning. My name is Aubrey. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to see you. Bylers, you've changed locations. Um, it's, it's, I'm glad to be here with you today. If we haven't met before, I do hope to get to meet you. Um, if you have a Bible, if you brought a Bible with you, please find our gospel passage, the Gospel of John. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with where to find things in the Bible, that's all right. It's a really big and complicated book. And um, you can use your table of contents. It's toward the right, nearly to the maps. All right, so the passage that we've heard read this morning and that we've been kind of enacting ourselves, this is called the triumphal entry. John chapter 12. Now, what's going on here? What's all of this about? Here we find Jesus riding a donkey. There are crowds. They're cheering and they're chanting and they're waving palm branches. What's going on here? Remember, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, John is a riddler. He likes riddles. He likes setting up information that kind of doesn't quite jive to get you to think about it and to meditate on it and to, to see where it takes you. And in this passage, there are three kind of parts to his riddle. There are three details that are not quite right, that, that you're supposed to like say, oh, what's going on there? The first, the first one is the time of the year it is. Notice in John chapter 12, verse 12, the next day. Now, if you're starting a story and the first line is the next day, it's kind of like um, provoking you to say, after what? Like, okay, like he doesn't tell you exactly when it is. He just kind of assumed, right? Okay, so what, what is he talking about? Well, go back and look at verse, chapter 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover. And then here's the next day. So the first thing you've got to catch to figure out what's going on in this kind of strange scene that's unfolding, the first thing you have to catch is that it's during Passover time. This was the great spring festival at the heart of the Jewish life. It occurred in somewhere, it was kind of connected to the lunar calendar. It, it, it shifted around and it occurred somewhere between March and April every year. It was the holiday for the Jewish people. They were celebrating a moment in their history that had occurred 3,400 years before that. Now, that's a long time ago. I mean, think about our national holidays, like the 4th of July, and they go back a couple of centuries. All right, we're talking about, like, way more than 10 times that, right? This has been going, they've been doing this party every year for ages, over 3,000 years. And what was it? It was celebrating the moment when God rescued Israel from Egypt. And he did that by the sacrifice of the lamb. Going through the Red Sea. And when he did that, Israel went from this group of people who were just a bunch of slaves into being a full-fledged nation. So they're celebrating their kind of beginning event, which occurred by their deliverance from slavery through the sacrifice of the lamb and the crossing of the Red Sea. And this was such a huge thing. 
that they had a huge party every spring to celebrate this. That's verse 12. Then you get to verse 13. And it's like John, who's writing this, forgot what time it was. Because in verse 13 it says, So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now here's the thing. Cutting palm branches and waving them, you don't do that in the spring. You don't do that at Passover. That's a weird little tradition that Israel practiced at a different holiday in the winter. That was the tradition for Hanukkah, also called the Festival of Lights or the Feast of Dedication. Hanukkah, this festival, it always occurred in midwinter, somewhere between the end of November and the end of December. And it was when they celebrated something that had happened 200 years before, when um, Israel had been ransacked by um, a part of Syria, and Judas Maccabees rose up and led a group of Israelites to form an army and to defeat the evil overlord that had run over them. I mean, what they had done is they had ransacked Israel. They had ransacked the temple. They had put an altar to Zeus in the middle of the temple, and they had mandated that there would be sacrifices of pigs on the altar. So this is as much kind of in the face of Judaism as you can get. And so it, it ticked them off so bad that Judas Maccabees comes along and again, this is 200 years before Jesus, raises up an army, defeats them, and get this. When he won, when, he, when the army of Israel defeated them, and they came back to Jerusalem, the capital, for some reason, and I don't know what the reason was, they, for the first time, in their, they cut palm branches and waved them and said, Judas Maccabees is our real king, not that other chump who tried to take over. And ever since that happened 200 years ago, they had a festival every winter to remember that. And what they did at the festival was they cut palm branches and reenacted it. So what you need to realize is that was like just a weird little quirky holiday tradition they had. They didn't go around waving palm branches all the time. They did it then. So what's happening here is why are they waving palm branches at Passover? Think about it this way. Suppose next Sunday, Sunday morning, at like 5 o'clock in the morning, bang, 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 somebody's banging on your door, and you wake up, and you rush downstairs, and you open the door, and there's a whole bunch of kids dressed up like ghosts and witches. And their parents are standing behind them, and they say to you, trick or treat, and they hold out baskets. You would be like, are you confused? Don't you know what time it is? (laughs) We don't do that at Easter. We do that when? Halloween. And you would automatically know something is wrong with these kids and their parents. Look, if you had read this story 2,000 years ago when it was written, that's exactly what you you would have thought. Wait a minute. Waving palm branches? You don't? That's That's a once a year thing. It's celebrating a total different holiday. So that's, that's a riddle, right? The riddle is, why are kids dressing up like ghosts and trick-or-treating at Easter? Why are they waving palm branches at Passover? That's the riddle. And what's going on here? Well, think about it. That's what John wants you to do. He wants you to think about it. So what is Passover about? Passover is a time that God delivered Israel 
through the sacrifice of the lamb from slavery. Hanukkah is about the time that the true king of Israel returned to the capital. And so they're doing this. And then they start saying in the, in the, at the end of verse 13, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. So here is all this crowd and they're rising up and they're saying, Jesus is our king and he's come back to deliver us from slavery. He's coming to deliver us. But then they do a really weird thing. When they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they're quoting Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, which we read earlier in our service. But then they add their own ending to it. Even the king of Israel. What they're saying is, Jesus, he's like Judas Maccabees. He's coming to deliver us from Rome. He's coming to set us free. He's coming to set us free. Jesus takes their praises, but then he says, you got one thing wrong. And the way he does that is by riding a donkey. And that's the third part of the riddle. Why? Notice what happens. As soon as they say, even the king of Israel, Jesus looks around, gets a donkey, Verse 14, a young donkey sat on it just as it's written, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. So Jesus gets this donkey and rides. What's he doing there? He's saying to them, you're right. I am the king. You're right. I am going to do for you what God did at Passover and what Judas Maccabees did at Hanukkah, but you're wrong about something. You're wrong about who it's for. You see, Jesus picks up an ancient prophecy, Zechariah chapter 9. We read this a little earlier in our service. If, if you want to flip there, hold your finger in John and listen to what Je this is what Jesus is drawing down on. Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So Jesus, that's, he's saying, you're right. You should be waving the palm branches. I am the king. I am delivering you. But keep reading. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. And he, his rule shall be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus is saying, you're mostly right. But there's so much more to this. Jesus is saying to them, the king is returning to Jerusalem but he's the king of the whole world, not only of Jerusalem. So he takes their praises and he says, you're not going far enough. I am the king of the whole world. And this is what he's been saying throughout John's gospel. The most famous verse in the Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. And then in chapter 10, verse 16, we saw this a few weeks ago. So 3.16, and then again in 10.16, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And he's saying to Israel, I'm not only here for Israel. I'm here for the whole world. And then in our gospel passage this morning, John chapter 12, right after the triumphal entry, the very next thing that happens, verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So they came to Philip from Bethsaida in Galilee and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. The very next thing that happens is some people who are not Israelites, some of the nations come and say, we want to see Jesus too. And then, of course, in chapter 32, and in chapter 12, a few verses down in verse 32, Jesus says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, talking about his crucifixion, I will draw, do any of you know the next word? All people to me. So here's the deal. Two things. Number one, Jesus is the king who saves. He really, really is. He really is the king. He has come to save them. He accepts that praise from them. Notice their, what they chant. Notice it one more time, verse 13. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. That word Hosanna, it's a Hebrew word. And it comes right out of the Psalms. And it literally means, oh, please save us now. That's what the word Hosanna means. It's the cry, save us. So think about what they were doing. They're waving palm branches, which is the sign of a king, and saying to that man, that king, save us now. That's what they needed a king to do. And Jesus said, that's what I'm here to do. This must be our prayer, every one of us. Jesus, we need to cry out to him and say, save us. Save us from what? Well, for a starter, from death. I mean, what are you going to do? Because you're going to die. And you have an option. That doesn't have to be the end of it. You can't defeat death. You might be able to delay it, but when it finally bites, you're done. But Jesus can defeat death. He did it, we saw, just two weeks ago with Lazarus. He raised him from the dead. And he, he did it himself when we'll see in the rest of this week. He dies, and then he's resurrected with a body that's incorruptible. That's what he offers you. He's a king who can save you from death and your family and your loved ones and your friends and your neighbors. If you turn to Jesus in faith, when you die and he returns, he will raise you from the dead. He will give you a new body that never breaks down. He's the king who saves from death, but he also saves us from our sins. It, it, 
you know, I was talking with someone after the earlier service, and he, this person was telling me how it's interesting. In the 1950s, um, Baptists in the South, when they would share the gospel and talk about Jesus, uh, my grandfather was one of these. He was a Baptist preacher in rural Louisiana in the 1950s. And so many people became Christians when he shared the gospel. And all he had to do was tap into their guilt. They felt it. They believed they were guilty. They believed that their sins were, that were a problem. And to be honest, those same people in the deep south weren't too worn out over the problems of society. In fact, I was raised um, that Martin Luther King Jr. was a troublemaker and that things were all right. And what's he doing down here? So think about how it's the exact opposite now. Now so many of us are overwhelmed with how broken society is, but not necessarily convinced that we're in trouble, that we're the problem. That that kind of brokenness we all see so deeply in society is actually in us too. And at, that society's in danger of going down, but we're in danger of going down. We're worn out. We're overcome. And if not, society's not the only thing that needs to be rescued, I need to be rescued. I need to be saved. Jesus is, is a king who saves not only from death, but he will save you from your sins and your brokenness and all the ways that you are down for the count. Jesus is the king who saves. All of us must learn to pray the prayer that they were praying. Hosanna, oh, please save me. And Jesus will. He will. The second thing we need to see for ourselves here is that he's not only the king of the Jews, he is the king of the whole world. He really is. Now, this is hard for us. <laughs> I think the reason it's hard for us to, to think that, that Christianity, that Jesus, that I really need Jesus, I think the first reason is what I said earlier. We're more naturally kind of jiving with the brokenness of society and it needs rescue than we are that we need rescue. We're struggling with this other one too. It offends us to think that one religion, one man, Jesus, is the savior of the world. That just doesn't feel good to us. In fact, a lot of us now, as a result of the way just society structures us to think about things, we feel a little guilty to say that to people. It, it can feel like, isn't that just colonialism? Aren't we just like um, enforcing our views on others? And you can try to logic your way out of it, but it still just feels that way. It just feels like, that can't be right. I think the coronavirus helps us here. None of us would say that about the vaccine. Here's a vaccine. Invented in one lab or three, but for the purposes of illustration, it's one solution, and it's for the whole world, regardless of, regardless of ethnicity. 
regardless of religion. The vaccines that have been developed, they save. And the fact that it's just one little invention doesn't in any way make it arrogant of those who have it to share it. In fact, what do you think about the fact that in a month or so, America's predicted to have an overwhelming stockpile of too much vaccine? And there are countries in this world that don't have it. What will be the loving thing for America to do? We've got to learn to see that Jesus is the Savior of the world. That is not a statement of arrogance. It's love. And what is our job to do with that? To share it. In every way we can, with love and with kindness. And so as we reflect on Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, each of us belongs to a part of this world. And our part of the world that we're in needs to hear that Jesus is the true king, the true rescuer, the king who sets us free from sin and death. And we must become part of the means by which his message goes out into the world. Let's pray.